0: Alright, welcome back to another episode of the Cody Tucker Show. As always, I'm your host, Cody Tucker. Um, you know, be sure to like, subscribe, all that good stuff. Tell a friend. Uh, God damn, I got think I got the volume cranked up on this. Alright, there it is. Alright, so. <laughs> off like a herd of turtles. So, uh, yeah. Might as well just go ahead and steamroll right into this there is a 90 to 99 percent chance that I will have to stop midway because I god it's this is really starting to become a common theme and I think it's this it can't be a sign of anything good but like I've been sick every time I eat something (laughs) which I don't know if that is a symptom of something uh I'm trying not to WebMD myself into, uh, you know, putting one right in my temple. But, um, yeah, let's just pretend like everything's fine and that I don't have uh, a massive, massive bout of diarrhea honking for the right away right now. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. <laughs> you can do this. You can do this. All right. So let's just go ahead and... Um, I mean, before this turns into a literal shit show, let's talk about, uh, so last night (laughs) there was an even bigger, uh, shit show than like, I could actually defecate all over myself and it wouldn't be nearly as bad of a, it wouldn't be nearly as much of a debacle as what happened with, uh, old Joe Coy last night. So granted, I think this will be probably two nights ago from the time this is released, but I'm recording this the day after the, uh, 2024 golden globes and this right here (laughs) was like i feel for people like you know as much as i like you know kind of think that i'm a bit of a uh uh i mean i tend to not necessarily have a whole lot of um maybe not as much empathy as i should for people uh you know definitely was raised more on the uh well if you fail you know if something bad is happening in your life that's your fault you can't be blaming anyone else for that uh bootstraps pulling you know all that kind of bullshit um but one a thing where like i really feel a lot of empathy for people is whenever something massively cringy happens like when i see people just completely embarrassing themselves it is not fun for me to watch. Like, I don't, I'm not like, I don't laugh at them. I'm not entertained by it. I am feeling just as in- uncomfortable as they are because the entire time I'm putting myself in their shoes. Uh, and last night, <laughs> uh, boy, did I, I mean my, I wanted to peel my goddamn skin off the entire time I was watching this fucking uh, watching this, uh, Opening fucking monologue from Joe Coy. Now, let me say... I mean, I don't... I have never really given much attention to, like, Joe Coy's comedy. I mean, I've seen, like, some of his specials. Whatever. Not... uh, You know, my opinion of his comedy does not matter. Because I am um, not necessarily a, (laughs) you know, gifted comedian myself. Uh, Not that he's not. But that was one of the most like horrifying things I've ever seen in my entire life the and I you know I have like this right here this picture honestly does not adequately symbolize uh, what that night was for him (laughs) yeah It was so bad. Like, just bring Ricky Gervais back. Have Ricky Gervais be the all-time host. Let him make all the people in that room uncomfortable. They deserve it. They were... uh, It's okay whenever a person makes someone else uncomfortable. To me. Like, if someone is being really funny and it makes people uncomfortable, that is the most joy I get in life. Like, all of the people who, to me are like the greatest comedians of all time, are usually people that a lot of the shit that they say just makes people very uncomfortable. And in turn, that is funny. Like, um, Norm Macdonald, perfect example. Norm Macdonald to me is the funniest human being who ever lived. And <laughs> a lot of the shit that Norm Macdonald said is <laughs> kind, of, kind of makes you uncomfortable. Or makes the people he's saying it to kind of uncomfortable. Me, I am like hyperventilating, laughing. This is not one of those moments. Ricky Gervais does that. Like when he hosts the Golden Globes, 100% is able to just make that entire room uncomfortable. And by being very funny, like this, there was not a single moment in this, that monologue went on for 10 minutes, which, oh boy. I mean, that had to have felt like the longest 10 minutes ever. Like, I mean, it was basically like one of those like really cringy best man speeches (laughs) at a wedding, except he was doing it in front of the most powerful people in all of uh, showbiz. Which had to, which is probably why he kept saying over and over that he's not writing this, that every time a joke didn't land, which was a ninety nine point nine percent of them. Oh, I didn't write that. I didn't write that. That is already the biggest cop out ever like don't do it there's there's a, a great like you don't have to do everything you don't really have to do anything um you don't have to host the golden globes and if you sit in a room and he's acting like oh i only had 10 days to prepare for this boy i don't know what he did for the other nine days and 45 minutes <laughs> the n- <laughs> nine days 23 hours and 45 minutes but um it does not seem like he had t- that that took 10 days to prepare. <laughs> but if anywhere in that 10 days, I was handed those jokes and said, Oh, we got some zingers for you to really liven up the room. And I read those. I'd be like, ah, call Kevin Hart, <laughs> Bring, call someone else. <laughs> like, I'm not reading any of this. Uh, and then what I implore you to do, is go back, go on YouTube and watch. I mean, honestly, stop watching this. If anyone is still a, actually watching this, which we're about seven and a half minutes in, I find very hard to believe anyone's actually watching this still. If you are, stop, because it's only going downhill from here. Um, pull up another little search and search the Joe Golden Globes 2024 monologue. And don't watch him. Don't even watch the people that they're Zooming in on, like whenever they pan to the audience. Don't watch those people. Watch all the people behind those people. (laughs) Like, watch Harrison Ford. Watch, uh, which, you know, Harrison Ford, obviously known for his uh, liveliness. Uh, (laughs) But watch Harrison Ford. Watch Helen Mirren. Watch, uh, Actually, one they zoomed in on, which had to have just really been a kick to the nuts, was never the... Uh, he made, God, one of the worst jokes I've ever heard about the Barbie movie, and they zoom in on Greta Gerwig, who is not having it. <laughs> and her reaction is basically like... Her and Helen Mirren had the exact same reaction that I had the entire time watching it. Helen Mirren's hand is over her face almost the entire time, and not because uh, she's hiding her laughter. God, it was just... Like, I mean, Schindler's List is a, was funnier. I laughed more in that movie than I laughed in that 10-minute model. <laughs> I mean, there is... God. Like, I've heard eulogies that were funnier than that. Crazy. Like, how does that... I mean, the damn... Uvalde Memorial fucking coverage was funnier than that goddamn monologue. It's not hard to do. Like, how... It, I mean, I'm sure there would be people that would think... Or they would say to me, like, I mean, you have no idea how hard that, that would be. No, it isn't. No, it isn't. All you have to do is just write moderately funny jokes about the movies and TV shows that were being nominated. That's it. Very... Very easy to do. I mean, to say that, and the fact that there were even writers, I didn't even think, like, how was there a team? It took a team of people to come up with that. (laughs) How is that possible? How does it take more than one person to make one of the worst? I mean, it has to be one of the worst moments in television. It is... And I have on good authority that the laughter you're hearing in the uh, television broadcast did not exist. (laughs) That about two jokes in, they were like, "Uh uh-oh, this ain't going well. And started putting in canned laughter after every single time um, Joe Coy made another, you know. Worse and worse. joke. They got exponentially worse. The longer it went on. And I mean. You damn near see people. Like checking their watches. Like when the fuck. Is this over. I'm ready to like. Get back to my. Goddamn. You know. Cabal. Uh. Temple. And. <laughs> and drink. Goddamn. Adrenochrome. Whatever it is. That the. Uh, Hollywood elite does. Anyways. You know. Hopefully. Someone should probably do a wellness check. On Joe Coy. If I'm. Being completely honest. Because, boy, it would be real hard not to be sucking on a shotgun right now. (laughs) Oh, God. Like, it's crazy how good Ricky Gervais is at doing that. And then they won't have him back because he's, like, offended. I mean, fuck me. Ridiculous. So, I mean, you basically are watching an entire career crash and burn in 10 minutes. Really an incredible thing to witness, to be honest. Um, Actually, speaking of. uh, So. It would be. I would be remiss if I didn't. Mention. And, you know. Discuss. Probably the biggest. I mean, one of the most like. The amount of attention that this is getting is insane to me and i know that uh, that's very hypocritical for me to <laughs> be mad about the attention of something and then give it attention uh but i i i mean what's the what else is the point of doing this other than to give my damn two cents about stuff so this happened um so cat williams went on uh so Cat Williams went on Shannon Sharp's podcast. Shannon Sharp is to me a a national treasure in every I mean uh, Shannon Sharp is awesome without a one of the coolest seemingly one of the coolest people to ever live. gotta be close to fifty if I'm not I mean. If I'm just guessing, got to be close to 50. Shannon Sharp was playing a long time ago. He still is in better shape than 99.9% of the world. <laughs> and could, without a doubt, beat my ass into just a puddle of fucking chewed up bubble gum. That being said, Cat Williams... <laughs> Cat Williams is... Cal Williams is a person that should be monitored. He should not be left alone. He should have a handler at all times. Uh, the amount of mental instability that you can witness, it's actually, it's a... I mean, he was basically running a clinic on... What massive narcissism looks like. (laughs) Like what narcissism narcissism manifest looks like. Uh, And just severe egotistical delusions. And this is coming from someone who has a bit of an ego himself. Uh, But I've never once told millions of people that... Uh, by the time I was ten years old, I had read three thousand nonfiction books. <laughs> oh my God! So there, I mean, there. I mean, I guess we'll just pick pick things apart here. Um, that's a lie. It is, and I don't know Cat Williams. Never met him. Never talked to him. Uh, damn sure won't be doing that after <laughs> after I say all the things I'm about to say. Um, he is a I don't have to know him or have ever met him to know that he is a pathological liar. Um, he didn't read that many books. It didn't happen. If my math is right, it's about eight or nine books a day every day. That didn't happen, and this and I like to fancy myself a bit of a uh, a bit of a reader. Not even coming close to that. I try to read a book a week. Most of the time I'm successful. Still a good amount of time. It uh, bleeds into the next week. But that is. And and growing up as a kid. You might find this hard to believe. uh, Not a lot of friends. (laughs) Not a lot of uh, going out and playing with other kids. So. Ergo, spent a lot of time in my room, sitting alone in my four-corner room, staring at candles, reading books, watching TV. Basically, all I did. Even in that time, was reading like a book every other day. Like, yeah. Probably about three books a week. A week. Cat Williams... Told the world that he was reading nine books a day. <laughs> he also told the world that he's never done hard drugs. Boy, that seems like a uh, a <laughs> stretch of the truth. It is called a crack rock. Doesn't get much harder than that. It ain't. It's not crack. Jello, crack pudding. It's a crack rock. Rocks are hard, hard drug, crack, rock, crack. Now I'm not saying that. I mean, maybe, maybe Cat Williams has never done hard drugs. Maybe let's let's give Cat Williams a benefit of the doubt on this. Say that he has never done a hard drug. Okay. Um. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So. All right, so Cat Williams has never done a hard drug. That means that a couple years ago, a stone-cold sober Cat Williams got into a full mixed martial arts bout with what seems to be an 11-year-old and kind of (laughs) lost. So I don't know which is worse. I think I would just say... Yeah, I used to do a lot of fucking hard drugs, and I got in a fight with a middle schooler. I, I, I definitely, just admit to being a drug addict, or at least maybe if he isn't now, which well, certainly seemed like he uh, was on something during that, uh, you know, episode. But um, yeah, so for that, for those two things to come up, already become massively skeptical. At the rest of the things that Cal Williams is going to say. The problem. So what I've noticed through, you know. Every night before I go to bed. I try to read the internet. Um, take a gander. See what the people are saying. You know, keep my ear to the ground. Try not to miss out on much. Uh, what I noticed. Over the past couple of days. A lot of people. Wholeheartedly believed everything Cat Williams said from beginning to end, <laughs> we're, we're, we're saying that Cat Williams is exposing the truth and, uh, about to unravel the, uh, you know, the Hollywood, um, you know, whatever Illuminati cult, uh, that is the Hollywood industry. Uh, I don't think there is a single person in a high level in Hollywood who is remotely worried (laughs) if that's the person who's going to do it. (laughs) I mean, it's not like Tom Hanks was sitting on a couch saying, (laughs) saying that everybody in Hollywood's a fucking pedo and shit. I mean, it was, it was a dude who, you know, is this is kind of a fucking psychopath. (coughs) Like, Like, if Julie, I mean, like, if um, De Niro, Denzel Washington, um, Brad Pitt, like, higher, I mean, Hanks, of course, like, if high, high level people in Hollywood were saying these things, I'd be like, oh my God, (laughs) I was right. Um, That isn't what happened. It was a tiny little bastard who. Has a unhealthy look on reality just spewing a bunch of bullshit. And all these people saying like, oh, look at him. He's exposing the gatekeepers. That term, there are certain terms that just piss me off so much. Certain words, certain phrases just piss me off. My truth is probably the number one. Anytime I hear somebody say like, oh, that's my truth, or he's just telling his truth, she's just telling her truth. That's a lie. That's what your truth, your truth is false. Truth is true. Your truth implies that it isn't the truth. Otherwise, you would just be saying, I'm saying the truth. I'm not saying my truth. My truth is me taking the facts, swirling them all around stripping out the shit that benefits me and then leaving off the rest that is making something false um there's only one truth there is a truth gravity truth um, you know one plus one equals two truth now granted if you're terrence howard one plus one does not equal two <laughs> terrence howard is living in his truth his truth is wrong um you know it it's uh it just isn't it's not how it works so that is number 1 thing i hate number 2 is just the term gatekeepers as though there are people like the way people like cat williams and so many people like on social media who think that they're like exposing the fucking evil um The way they seem to think that fame, like how fame works, is that you are trying to become famous. And at one point you reach a level where someone brings you into a room filled with people wearing like eyes wide shut masks. And they just sodomize the shit out of you. And once they're done, voila, here's your contract. You're famous. (laughs) That's how these people make it seem that like that that's how it works. That isn't how it works. It's not. There are no gatekeepers. There are people who make studios money because people like them. The more that a person is liked, the more that a person that people will go see whatever it is they're doing, a.k.a. the more money they are able to make. The people in charge of the studios. Now, if you want to say the people in charge of studios are gatekeepers, uh, okay, I mean, no, they're not. They're businessmen, businesswomen. That's what they're doing. They are trying to make as much money as possible by spending as least money as possible. So they're, you know, they have a pretty big investment in finding who is the person who draws people in. If you aren't drawing people in, you don't have a career. How it works. Uh, You know, um, like like Leonardo DiCaprio didn't become actually not even Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, I believe, is the highest paid actor in Hollywood and has been for a very long time as like Tom Cruise, Will Smith. Well, Will Smith, not so much anymore, (laughs) but like Tom Cruise, Will Smith, and maybe like Robert Downey Jr. with like Marvel massively, massively, highly paid people. And I mean, shit, Leonardo DiCaprio, a lot of other people in that group, too. Um, the reason they're paid so much is because people go see their movies. They make studios more money. It isn't because there's, it isn't because at one point, (laughs) you know, uh, Leo was just getting, you know, boofed by you know Steven Spielberg and all the rest of the Hollywood elite. It's because he makes he people like him. He's a you know he was an attractive young man, became this like heartthrob, that made him a lot of money. Was in Titanic, Titanic, massive at the time, biggest movie of all time. Ages into becoming arguably one of the greatest actors of all time. It was no gatekeeping. It wasn't somebody opening a gate and saying, oh, you're welcome to come in. Cat Williams is under this impression, and a lot of people seemingly, way more than I thought, are under this impression that like they're, uh, like, um, what do they call it? Initiate, like there's initiations into becoming famous and you have to basically strip all of your integrity to become famous. Now, in some ways, that might be kind of true. And one thing I will say to give Cat Williams some sort of, you know, to try to balance it out a little bit the whole, uh, th- like, thing of basically all black comedic actors, and not even just comedic actors, I mean actors in general, at some point having to, like, dress as a woman and wear like a dress and makeup is odd to say the least and there is probably a very very deep seated um kind of menstrual attitude that comes into that of like why that's a thing because it isn't a thing with actors of any other race see i mean it doesn't seem to be i'm not i mean obviously there are like white actors who have Dressed in like as women, Hispanic actors, Asian actors, it has it does happen, but it is like almost a guarantee <laughs> that if you are a young, especially comedic black actor, that you will have to dress up as a woman at some point. I don't understand that. No, there's anything wrong with dressing up, a woman. I mean, whatever, whatever, <laughs> whatever you want to do, but it is just really weird. So I I kind of, I get that and I'm on that side of it. Like that doesn't need to be a thing. I mean, yeah, if you're doing a movie, you know, like nobody's worried about Jared Leto and Dallas Buyers Club. He won a damn Oscar for it. And rightfully so he's, you know, as little of a Jared Leto fan as I am. Uh, he was amazing in that movie, Dallas Buyers Club. And that isn't like a, oh, we're just doing this for no reason, like, to, like, humiliate, you think? Like, he's playing a character with, like, that has to happen. All the, uh, so if Cat Williams is saying that the only reason he doesn't have a career is because he refused to do that, one, that's bullshit, too. Like, I actually was kind of almost going to, like, suck. <laughs> that's not true. He's not, the, he's not that good at anything. I mean, I never thought Cat Williams was funny. So maybe that's where like some of this is coming from. I've never thought he was funny. To me, like the only people I knew growing up, so like there was a handful of comedians who were like just massively famous whenever I was a kid. Like growing up into like, you know, middle school, junior high, even. Um, you know, Dane Cook, Cat Williams, Daniel Tosh. I mean, obviously growing up in the South, you know, like all blue collar. like there's a lot of You know, there's like a, a handful who were like the comedians. It was like our version of, you know, Richard Pryor, George Carlin, Steve Martin, like 70s era. Like that's kind of like our little group. Cat Williams was bottom of my list or bottom like of that, you know, in my little group. The only people I knew who liked Cat Williams were very racist white people. I don't know what the connection is to that, but that's my truth. <laughs> um, yeah, that he basically was like it was basically just all the like very dumbass, racist white trash people in living in like trailer parks. Love Cat Williams. Basically he was like the insane clown posse of comedy. Uh and I just didn't like, I didn't care for it. Didn't think it was funny. Um, like, I'm... So, I, you know, I don't think that him standing on his integrity is what made his career tank. <laughs> I think he, as a person, probably had a little bit more to do with that. I think like the negative aspects of Catwoman probably ruined his career, which is why he went on a show and said shit about every single person who is more successful than him. Uh, and I'm not saying like I'm a massive Kevin Hart fan, not saying I'm a massive Steve Harvey fan, uh, but they are way more successful than he is, and there's probably a reason for that. I don't know. I'm just saying, shut the fuck up, dude. <laughs> and granted, you know, who am I to say anything? I'm a just a big old fat piece of shit who, you know, never had even like the smidgen of success that Cat Williams has had. But also, you are supposed to punch up, so what the fuck else am I supposed to do? <clears throat> Him saying to Shannon Sharp that he's, I'm much bigger in person, was an odd thing. To say that to a person who is literally built like a like a statue of like if you were going to design a superhero like Shannon Sharp basically looks like that. Like he is. <clears throat> it is insane that Shannon Sharp is like the age he is, which he's not like super old or anything, but like that he is over 30 The fact that anyone over 30 looks like that is insane. And Shannon Sharp is a bit over 30. And, I mean, he looks, I mean, it is insane how, like, I don't know. Shannon Sharp's awesome. Like, a funny fucking dude. Way funnier than Cat Williams, to be honest. Um, But for Cat Williams to sit there and try to, like, convince Shannon Sharp that people should be scared of him physically... Is the funniest shit I've ever heard, and that he like basically is the Usain Bolt of comedy, and um basically taught Prince all he knows about picking up women and shit. Like, <laughs> okay, sure. Like he's Kevin was trying real hard to convince people of uh well, anyways. So that'll be enough of that. There's no reason to keep going uh, I'm talking about this, but you know. Just thought I'd have to get my two cents out. There. there are no gatekeepers. It's not how it works. I mean, yeah. It, okay, I guess I'm going to keep talking about it. So, yes. Uh, is Kevin Hart a gatekeeper? Um, If you mean in the sense, like, has he become very famous and is able to thus use that fame to have a little bit of control and say, oh, I'm going to bring in the people who I know and make them famous. Yeah, but that's how... Anything works. That's not just like that's not just like show business. That's how McDonald's works or Walmart. If if you go work at Walmart, you're gonna start off pretty low level. Eventually you'll work your way up a little bit. And if you keep working and you know <laughs> having uh you know I mean I'm, if you keep working hard enough throughout the ranks of Walmart <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to say this is a straight face, sorry. If you keep working your, working your way up through the ranks of Walmart, you eventually get to the point where you have some control. Part of that control will be, like, you get to choose who to hire. Well, if two different people come in to do an interview, one person you've never met, have zero reference of who this person is, another is a person that you've known for 20 years, person that you can personally say I know this person works hard. I know they have, you know, the skills that it takes to do, to do this position at Walmart. Who are you going to hire? Yeah, you're going with the person that you know. Like that's not being a gatekeeper. It's being it's being just a like that's how it's supposed to work. Like why would you not pick the person you know already? Like of course you will. This it's not nepotism. It's not gatekeeping. It's not making Hollywood this fucking Illuminati where you have to know somebody to get in. Yeah, you don't have to, but it helps. Because if you know someone, then they can vouch for you. They're way more likely to pick you over the person they've never met. Like, how does that... How is that unfair? Like, okay, I guess, well, I guess by definition it is unfair. Because you don't get to choose whether you know or don't know someone. But to act like all these people are gatekeeping and like only letting certain people in. It's like, no, you were in like, Cal Williams was famous, very, very famous. And then stopped being famous. Well, what happened? Like, why did you stop being famous? Is it because you refused to do a certain scene in a movie that <laughs> and turned down fifty million dollars four different times. All right, is it because of that, or is it because people were working with you and realizing that you're a delusional, egotistical narcissist, and we're like, eh, I think we'll just pick somebody who's a little easier to work with. Maybe that's what it was. I don't know. It just just pisses me off when people do that. When people like, and it's not even really just Cat Williams that I'm like. Not like angry catworms. It's to all the people who are like, see, I told you. Like people who, you know, are working at a fucking, you know, I don't know like a, you know, a waiter at a goddamn TGR Fridays that's like, I knew it. Hollywood's a bunch of fucking <laughs> Illuminati's. Like, one, what does that shit have to do with any of us? It doesn't have anything to do with us. Why would you care? Even if it was, even if Hollywood was just filled with, you know, weird cult bullshit, adrenochrome drinking, everybody showing up wearing the same color, Uh, you know, uh, orgies of various ages. What, even if that was all happening, what are you just going to stop watching movies? Stop listening to music. Stop watching TV. No, you're not. I'm not. I have found out that a lot of the, people who I enjoy their work are monsters. And guess what? Never for a second (laughs) have I even entertained the idea of not watching or listening to their stuff anymore. Yeah, I don't care if they are doing horrific shit. If I found out that Like, if I found out that Fred Durst murdered 70 people, do you think I'm skipping any time that break stuff shuffles into my playlist? No. I will probably listen to it a little louder. I'm like, holy shit, he meant it. (laughs) Yeah. Not... Just don't be a fucking hippie. I mean, just who cares if they are doing that shit? Actually, speaking of, what a hell of a segue. Um, Last one that we'll do, you know, a little topic of the day. Uh, This (laughs) happened. (laughs) So what you're seeing right now, if you are watching this, if you're listening, what you're seeing is a collage of, of Jeffrey Epstein and one of his frequent customers, <laughs> Stephen Hawking. Now, obviously, it has been known for some time that Stephen Hawking paid visits to Epstein's, you know, fun house. Um, you know, East Del Epstein. Uh, that's already known. That is not something new that came out with the whole, you know release of information which was a big letdown as someone who is a massive conspiracy theory or i wouldn't say that i'm necessarily a conspiracy theorist i'd like conspiracies i like the idea of them i think they're fascinating do i believe any of them not really uh kennedy that one 100% believe maybe and well and there's definitely a weird amount of pedo-ness going on in the movie industry um, or at least used to. Like, there's definitely some stuff going on with that. Yeah, so Kennedy, 100%. Martin Luther King, 100%. Um, like, there ain't no way that James Earl Ray just said, I want to kill him and killed him. <laughs> oh, sure. Um, Malcolm X, 100% conspiracy. Uh, the Epstein one is just fascinating. I, you know, do I believe that every single person who went to Epstein's Island went there to do the types of things Stephen Hawking was doing? Maybe not. Probably not, actually. Do I believe everyone who was on the flight logs is now someone that you should, you know, cancel completely and investigate for pedophilia? Probably not. People like Jeffrey Epstein are people who they live off of the belief that they become more powerful by surrounding themselves with powerful people Uh, they become richer, they become more famous, they become more powerful so yeah, it makes sense that he would be trying everything he could to get famous rich people to go on flights with him, to go to his island, to go to his home Homes like him. Yeah. Do I believe that every single person who met Jeffrey Epstein is a diddler? No. Stephen Hawking (laughs) is 100% an exception to that. I have never been more like disgusted and entertained and amused at the exact same time. Now, I am not in any way condoning I mean, obviously, I guess you kind of have to say it. I am in no way condoning the behavior of Stephen Hawking. But to picture it in your head, a man, this man, uh, just in case you didn't know, that's Stephen Hawking on the left. (laughs) The one who looks like he's been melting for the past uh, 40 years. That human being, was being wheeled in to a room that had a giant chalkboard. On that chalkboard, very complex math equations. And a bunch of little people would come in who could barely reach the chalkboard and they would try to solve the equations. And in some way, that did it for Stephen Hawking. Also was having massive underage orgies. That's not good either. Um hard to really say which one is more disgusting if I'm being honest uh no obviously uh you know chalkboards creep me out to be honest the 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 thought that at any moment you can hear that screech sound it terrifies it just I hate them I hate chalkboards they make me on edge so actually in some ways that would be be the worst one to me but but also kids are annoying as fuck too hmm Anyways, um, (laughs) but just the, I mean, the poor fucking girls that had to go through that shit. I mean, my God, because I guess you have to make them finish, which may not be possible. That can't be possible. All I know is that if I was a, you know, an underage girl living on Epstein's Island 100% 100% raising my hand anytime Bill Clinton comes in. <laughs> like, if like if I'm put into a room and they're like, oh, we're about to have an orgy in here. And you don't know who's coming in. You're just like, oh, okay. You're in the room about to have the orgy. Door opens. And you're waiting like, who's it going to be? Is it going to be Bill Clinton? Is it going to be, uh, who? Well, I don't want to just say random names. Uh, <laughs> who are some people on the list? Is it going to be Kevin Spacey? Is it going to be, you know, Prince Andrew? And then you just hear, and look, and there's staring at you. Oh, boy. What a bummer. Like, that has to be a real, just suck the air right out of the room. Like, oh, my God, we're going to be here forever. Like, I'm 100% volunteering for old Slick Willie because that son bitch is coming in 30 seconds max. So, yeah, all you got to do is just kind of slap it around a little bit. And then, you know, he sends you on your way with a complimentary cigar. 100% being like, give me Bill. <laughs> if, I, if I have to get put on hawking duty, oh, man, I am. I am pissed off for the entire I'm pissed off for the whole week I'm like this sucks yeah I'm on an island in the middle of the Caribbean and fucking paradise but damn I just had to fucking <laughs> I just had to watch it oh yeah oh my god oh my god oh my god <laughs> oh boy you know normally it wouldn't be nice to make fun of people like that but when the person is a massive scumbag It kind of feels good because you couldn't really do that for someone who didn't do the things that he did. Like some guy who's like, you know, homeless, who happens to be like a paraplegic, like you'd be a real monster. But the fact that he (laughs) is Stephen Hawking makes it perfectly okay now. And I've been waiting for this moment my entire life. Like the, the, um, you know, just the way life works out sometimes. Where a thing you really want to happen. Happens. But you never thought it would happen. Like I never thought it would be like. Good to make fun of Stephen Hawking. It's always funny. But I never thought it would be like. Hell yeah. Fuck that guy. But now it is. <laughs> and boy I am going to milk it for everything it's worth. Um. Yeah. See, like, I don't know if karma is real. I don't know that I believe in karma. Ca- cause and effect, sure. Like, you do shitty things, shitty things are probably going to happen to you. Uh, I don't think that that's some, like, mystical force that makes that happen. I think it's just, yeah, if you rob from people, you're probably going to end up going to prison. Cause and effect. Some people will call that karma. Now, I've never heard of karma happening in reverse. <laughs> But that's what seems to have happened to Stephen Hawking. Stephen Hawking has had ALS or had ALS for like 50 years. Who would have known that when he got ALS, when everybody's so sad to see this guy, this massively intelligent person confined into this, you know, vegetative state. People are like, God, we feel so sorry for him. Who would have known that later on he'd be doing this kind of shit? (laughs) He was getting karma for something that hadn't happened yet. (laughs) So maybe there is a God and he just sees shit backwards, which actually explain a lot of things anyways, like maybe all the kids who die from like childhood cancer were kids who were going to grow up to become like mass murderers and they're just getting their karma like early. In that case, boycott St. Jude's. <laughs> <laughs> Marlo Thomas doesn't need another fucking nose job. All right. So that'll do it for this ep- <laughs> for this part, not the episode. Uh, time to go into a little bit of the uh, educational segment of the uh, program. Uh, so that being said, time to do a little uh, where that come from. And... All right, so time for the old... Uh, where that come from take a famous uh word or phrase figure out where did that come from why do we say it uh little origin story you know all that kind of good stuff so first one that we're doing uh this is this is a pretty i find this one to be very fascinating it's a little bit different than what we normally normally have on the uh program but um Interesting nonetheless. So, for this one, we're going back to World War II. Now, World War II, obviously, big event. Uh, global event, some would say. <laughs> A worldwide event, some would say. Um, now, during World War II, obviously, pretty high tensions between the United States and Germany. Well, before World War II, a lot of trade going on between the United States and Germany. Not necessarily uh, enemies. Now, obviously, there's World War One, where there's, you know, some bullshit going on. But even before that, trade freely between the U.S. and Europe. Uh, so, there was not, you know, not really like restrictions. There's no reason to not trade with Germany. They hadn't done anything wrong. Then World War One happens. Uh, yep, made a bit of a tactical error there, Germany. A little bit of a punishment. Now, World War II happens, oh boy, <laughs> uh, this isn't good. So, no more trade with you, Germany. Well, during World War II, a lot of companies had centers in Germany. A lot of American companies had locations in Germany because Germany, massive place to export American, uh, for American exports. So, import from the U.S., U.S. is exporting to Germany. Um, So during World War II, Coca-Cola was very, very popular. It had been popular for some time before that, uh, ever since the Dr. Uh, John Pemberton invented Coca-Cola in Atlanta, Georgia. So Dr. John Pemberton invents Coca-Cola in Atlanta, Georgia. Starts getting more and more successful. By the time we get to World War II, Coca-Cola, very, very successful. Now, obviously... There's no more trading with Germany. But Coca-Cola was also becoming very uh, successful in Germany. Well, trade embargo happens during World War II. No more trading with Germany. No more American products getting sent to Germany. So, people at Coca-Cola are like, "Uh, that's not good. How the hell are we supposed to make money over here? Well, the head of Coca-Cola Germany was a fellow by the name of Max Keith. Max Keith... Oddly enough, massive Nazi, (laughs) like real, real big Nazi. And he was the head of Coca-Cola in Germany. So he's like, "Uh, I don't want this little embargo to hurt our sales. I want to keep my job and I want to make a fuck ton of money. So Max Keith is like, how are we going to make money over here if we can't get shit sent from the U.S. anymore to make Coca-Cola and sell it? So he's like, well, we got to just... make do with what we have. And at the time, there's no like Coca-Cola shit, like the syrup from Coca-Cola, all that shit back in the U.S. ain't coming over here. So Max Keith basically gets together with his uh, board of directors, creative team, heads, the other heads of uh, Coca-Cola Germany is like, all right, we have got to figure out what we can do, take all the shit that we still have here Whatever we can make a damn new soda with, do it, sell it, and we'll be all right. We'll stay afloat. We will prosper. (laughs) We we will make Coca-Cola prosper in Nazi Germany. Um, So Max Keith is basically giving this, you know, mission to the fellas. And Max Keith is like, so then the fellas end up making a new soft drink. Max Keith is like, all right. Perfect, we got a new soft drink, good to go, time to sell it. Well, we gotta figure out how to market this soda. Now Coca-Cola has done very well in the US by using American soldiers to market Coca-Cola. You have ads where a US soldier is drinking Coca-Cola, makes little kids want one, so the little kids you know, buy them. Coca-Cola makes a bunch of money. Max Keith is like, doing the same thing over here. We are gonna show the Nazi soldier drinking this soft drink and it's going to make the little kids want to buy it. And the little Nazi kids are going to love it. They're going to all buy it. And their Nazi parents are going to buy it for the Nazi kids. Boom. Make a bunch of money. So they're trying to figure out, well, what do we call this thing? Max Keith just says, use your imagination. Well, Max Keith, obviously speaking in German. In German, imagination, uh, in German, imagination is fantasia. Or Fantasia. So, Fantasia gets shortened to Fanta, and that is where the soft drink Fanta came from. <laughs> oh boy. So, there's that one. Hope you enjoyed it. Time to move on to uh, a little bit of the old half ass. All right, so the first one for today is going to be a uh, little half ass history involving a comedic legend, fellow by the name. Of Chevy Chase so Chevy Chase before he was in Caddyshack and uh National Lampoon's Vacation Fletch all these legendary movies Chevy Chase was a college student at Bard University uh sorry or a, a college student at Bard College in upstate New York so Chevy Chase before this was going to Bard College in upstate New York he is also a very talented drummer Which a lot of people may not know. Chevy Chase, very talented drummer. So, while he's uh, studying at Bard College, he also wants to kind of meet some other classmates. Maybe jam a little bit. Well, uh, he used to jam with a few other students. And at one point, met these two other classmates. uh, And him and these two other classmates ended up making a band called Leather Canary. Now, you have never heard of Leather Canary. (laughs) All right, so Leather Canary becomes this little, like, college band with Chevy Chase and two other students. Chevy Chase is the drummer. Um, So Chevy Chase is jamming with uh, Leather Canary for a little while, doing some shows together. He, Chevy Chase, ends up getting expelled from Bard College. The reason he gets expelled (laughs) is because at one point he was keeping a live cow in his dorm room. Yeah, that'll do it. So Chevy Chase gets expelled from Bard College, goes on to have an amazing career, Saturday Night Live, Caddyshack, National Lampoon's Vacation, Fletch, tons of other awesome, hilarious movies. Chevy Chase becomes a legend. Well, you might be thinking, hey, whatever happened to those other two guys, the the other two thirds of Leather Canary? Well, funny enough, those other two guys are like, hey, we don't want to you know, give up on our dream of becoming you know, professional musicians just because old Chevy Chase got uh, expelled. So we're just going to keep going. Uh, those two other musicians were two fellas, one Walter Becker, the other Donald Fagan. They are realizing, hmm, we would still like to be famous musicians, but Leather Canary, probably not the best name for a band. So we should probably change that name. Now, these other two guys, Walter Becker and Donald Fagan, brainstorming ideas. One of them's reading the book. Uh, one of them had read the book uh, Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs. In that book, there is talk of a uh, big old strap on. <laughs> the name of that strap on is the name that they use to make their band uh, or is the So the name for that strap-on in The Naked Lunch by William S. Burroughs is the name that they choose to give their new band. The name of that strap-on is the Steely Dan. Yeah, (laughs) Chevy Chase was basically in Steely Dan. So there's that one. Time to move on to the next one. All right, so the next one, story of a fella that you probably remember hearing about in history class. Uh... And, you know, one of the big events that he did. You just may not know the uh, finer details of it. And that's kind of what this story is. So this is kind of more of a little deep dive into the inner workings of the raid on Harper's Ferry by John Brown. So John Brown, massive abolitionist, very key figure in the abolitionist movement, hated slavery, despised it, wanted it gone. Uh, John Brown also... Kind of a nut job. Uh, and, you know, had visions that he was going to liberate slavery. He was going to basically be the one to liberate slaves from slavery in the South. And uh, bring them into a life of freedom. Lofty goal. Uh, but John Brown believed he was the fellow to do it. So, we've all heard of the story of John Brown and his raid on Harper's Ferry. Well, there's a little bit more to that than what people might realize. Um, So before the raid, so John Brown is trying to kind of. John Brown is trying to get people to follow him to do the raid. Uh, One person that John Brown goes to fellow by the name of Frederick Douglass is like, hey, you would be a perfect person to have join me. Because people will want to join and follow us if you're part of it. Frederick Douglass is like, there ain't no way I'm doing this. Like, this is a suicide mission. Like, this is going to be a disaster. Like, John Brown, I, you know, I support, (laughs) you know, I'm glad you're with us, but this is probably not the best way to do it. John Brown's like, well, thank you, but doing it anyways. So, John Brown and Frederick Douglass part ways. Now, John Brown is like, well, let's just. Basically, grassroots this thing and basically try to convince uh, a lot of the slaves in the South to revolt against their own, slave owners and then come and join me for the raid on Harper's Ferry. That kind of works. So he is able to convince some people to join him. Not a lot. Nowhere near as many people as John Brown thought were going to join him. So. He ends up saying, Well, this is what we got, we're doing it. He's there, John Brown is there with like some of his a couple of his sons, uh, some former slaves, not a lot of people joining him, but he's like, We're gonna do the raid on Harper's Ferry. Now, if you don't know what Harper's Ferry is, it's a massive weapons arsenal. Uh pretty heavily secured spot. And uh yeah, a place that the government does not want people meddling around in. So John Brown ends up having the raid on Harper's Ferry and it goes, it. so John Brown does the raid on Harper's Ferry and it is pretty much a disaster from Jump Street. <laughs> it doesn't go well at all. So John Brown's like, ah, damn this uh, Frederick Douglass might've been right. This might not have been a great idea. Um, he ends up basically being like, all right, uh, you know, time to call an audible. It's time to hold people hostage. <laughs> and one of the people that John Brown holds hostage is the uh, great nephew of George Washington. <laughs> yeah. The first president. So that gets people a little, uh, flustered. And they're like, Oh boy, this is now becoming a little, even more serious. Already was very serious. Now you got George Washington's, uh, you know, great nephew in there. Oh God, this isn't good. So, now, the military ends up showing up to basically just squash this thing. Um, the person who gets uh, sent for the person who gets sent for in the middle of the night to come, basically, in this thing, is a young general by the name of Robert E. Lee. Yeah, that one. So Robert E. Lee gets up middle of the night, goes down there with a uh, you know a couple of his soldiers, and they basically squash it like right then. And it's, it's done. Couple John Brown's sons are completely fucked off. John Brown ends up surviving somehow survives the raid on Harper's Ferry. But what he has done is technically an act of massive treason. So yeah, he's going to be executed for this. Now, John Brown is then publicly hung and killed one of the people who is in the crowd to watch John Brown be killed is a young starving actor by the name of John Wilkes Booth. Yeah. The guy who would later murder Abraham Lincoln. So yeah. So this all happens. John Brown is killed. John Wilkes Booth watches it. John Brown ends up becoming almost like a mythical Like John Brown ends up becoming kind of a folk hero and rightfully so John Brown may have been one of the, I mean, John Brown might've been a little nuts, but also man, I mean, he was fighting the good fight. So yeah, there's the story of John Brown, uh, got one more to do and then we will be at it. All right. So the last one of the day, this is a pretty interesting one as well that I hope you'll, uh, you'll all enjoy. Um, So it's the story of a fella by the name of Wallace Amos. So Wallace Amos, born in 1936 in Florida. Uh, He ends up moving to New York City for college. When he moves to New York City, he gets a job working for the William Morris Talent Agency in the mailroom. Very low level position. But somehow is able to work his way up into becoming an actual talent agent and becomes the first African American talent agent in the history of the William Morris, uh in the history of William Morris. So, yeah, pretty big deal for old uh Wally. So Wallace ends up uh signing a lot of big acts. Well, rewind a little bit, when Wallace was a kid, he had an aunt who used to bake him cookies all the time. Very, very good cookies. She ends up Uh, giving him the recipe. He brings that recipe with him to New York City. And when he's a talent agent, he also bakes cookies for people. And it is kind of one of the reasons why he's able to get people to sign with him is he would make these like badass cookies for people. And by doing that, he's able to sign Simon and Garfunkel and Marvin Gaye. So (laughs) yeah, works out pretty well for him. Well, he's a talent agent for a little while. Very good at it. Very successful talent agent. But... A lot of his clients, a lot of his friends are like, hey, like, you know, these cookies are pretty damn good. You should think about selling them. Like, maybe, fuck this, go sell those cookies. He eventually is like, all right, I think y'all are right. I'm going to break away from this start selling cookies. Well, in 1975, with the help of a $25,000 loan from Marvin Gaye, Wallace Amos is able to open up his own shop and sell those cookies. It becomes more and more successful, and eventually those cookies are sold all across the United States as Famous Amos. (laughs) Yeah, that one. So there's that story. hope you enjoyed it. That'll do it for uh, this week's episode. Uh, Until next time.